Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. I am your host, Tariq El Amin. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. We reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com, and you can also log on to www.radioislam.com to check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and a lot more. Now, if you haven't already done so, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Radio Islam USA. Make sure that you like our Facebook page. We do a lot of interaction there. We encourage your comments, questions, ideas. Post them right there, and we generally respond within, at the most, a day. So we want to we want to hear what you think. As always, you can join our conversation at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. So if you're listening to us right now on your drive home, if you're stuck in traffic, we hope the traffic is not too bad for you. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast, and you're just walking around the house right now with your earbuds on, taking care of housework. We want to know that we appreciate you taking this hour to spend with us with Radio Islam. So thank you. And we hope that you, you enjoy this program, uh, that it's meaningful to you. Uh, we put a lot into it, and it means a lot to us. So we hope that that's a, a common point of connection for us. So we want to just take a few minutes. First of all, those who are listening locally on WCEV 1450 uh, AM, you heard some remarks about slavery, um, human trafficking. You know, a lot of people are under the impression that we are living in in a world that is beyond, that has moved on past slavery, that it no longer exists. But it is a pressing concern. It is a silent, it is a silent uh, menace that scores and scores, I mean, tons of people are dealing with. And in that introduction, they gave some information. They talked about finding resources that would allow us to be more responsive, to be more aware when we see the signs of human trafficking. I'm going to take it a step further and not only talk about the human trafficking that exists, uh, a lot of these, um, these victims, they are forced into, um, they're forced into prostitution or they're forced, basically it's sex trafficking. But I'm going to also add on to this. We have talked about this on this program the actual slavery that does also still exist in places like Mauritania, which is a country in uh, northern Africa. And there are organizations that are fighting against that, that are trying to bring awareness to that fight. And I'm going to share one of those organizations with you now. And I'm going to give their information to you twice. So the organization is called the Abolition Institute. And it's, it was founded here in Chicago. Their website is www.stoppingslavery.org. That's www.stoppingslavery.org. And that's the Abolition Institute. That's an organization for those, as I said, for those particularly who are listening locally, but even if you are listening, you know, on the other side uh, of the world, if you're listening in South Africa, if you're listening, you know, in in Paris, wherever you're listening, you can aid the work of organizations like this who are, who have engaged in this work on a full-time basis to try to bring an end to this wretched and abominable practice. So I wanted to share that in light of the 
uh, in light of the announcement that had been made prior to us coming on the air. Next thing I would like to remind us of, um, I refer to you all listening, I can't see you, but I see you as, in my mind, I see you as an extension of my own family. So when I say Radio Islam family, when we say brother and sister, that brings about a certain uh, responsibility that we all have. So the next thing I say when I say that, when I say what I'm about to say, I'm saying it with that idea in mind of us being a family. So right now, uh, Mexico just endured a 7.1 scale uh, earthquake. So our brothers and our sisters that are there are dealing with the after effects of that, uh, with all of the, the chaos, all of the trial that comes with that. So at the very least, we keep them in our prayers, but we want to do what we can, what we can to alleviate uh, the, the, the struggle, alleviate the, uh, the suffering. Uh, there are organizations, there are NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations that specialize in disaster relief. Um, there are a number of them. I mean, so we have, you know, I don't, I'm not going to name them right now just because I actually I want to get into the, the actual meat of our discussion for tonight. But let's do what we can to support those organizations that are responding to these instances, whether we're talking about from Hurricane Harvey and Irma to Maria to this uh, latest earthquake. Let's keep our brothers and sisters. I say it again. Let's keep our brothers and our sisters in mind. And know that as we are answering, you know, the call to, to come and alleviate their, uh, their sufferings or meet their needs, that we would also hope that our brothers and sisters would, would respond to us as well. So that being said, we don't want to be doom and gloom. That's never the, uh, that's never the, the thought, but we want to be conscious we want to be conscious and we want to be um, we want to take some joy in being able to uh, relieve the um, the distress of others. So we have a uh, an informative broadcast tonight, an informative show for you tonight. Um, after a short break, we're going to come back and uh, God willing, inshallah, we're going to be joined by Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, um, who has left with the delegation to. Uh, to look in, to investigate firsthand the conditions of the uh, Rohingyans that have been forced to flee. Uh, that is a, it is a verifiable uh, genocide. It's been named as such by quite a few Nobel laureates. And uh, we're going to get a firsthand update on the work that is going on and, and the uh, conditions that the uh, Rohingyan, our brothers and sisters there, um, are facing. So this is Radio Islam. You're listening to WCEV 1450 AM. If you've got a question, remember, you can call us at 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178, or post on our Facebook page. We'll be back in just a moment. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. 
they can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We've got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you've got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam, a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7. <clears throat> we are pleased. Well, let me give you this number. 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. We are pleased to have the founder of Sound Vision and the an executive producer, the executive producer of Radio Islam, as well as the chair of the Burma Task Force that is doing some amazing work with regard to the genocide that is taking place uh, in Burma. Uh, and the, uh, so they are, we have Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid on the line joining us from Bangladesh, is that it? Yes, I'm on Bangladesh and Burma border right now. Okay. Well, we are, we are so glad to be able to talk to you. Walaikum assalam. We are so happy to be able to talk to you. And to uh, to just to get an update on what I'm sure has been a uh, a very um, uh, weighty trip. Yes, uh, I mean as you approach the area, mm-hmm. uh, you start seeing uh, men, women, mostly women and children, sort of a family, two three people standing silently and calmly on the roadside. Mm -hmm. And as you move forward, that once in a while become every other yard, people are just standing. They're not asking anything, but they're silently, calmly, with a face which has a lot to tell to the world. Mm -hmm. And when I start talking, stories emerge. For example, a story of uh, Telatoli. It's a it's a village uh, in Burma, and uh, the mayor, uh, who was a Burmese Buddhist, it seems extremist, mm-hmm. told them, "Oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't flee your homes," because they were worried other villages close by were being burned. They said, you know, at, at worst, your homes will be burned, but nobody's going to hurt you. And the mayor said the this? next day, hmm. mayor of the uh, village told, and the next day, the um, everybody who was trying to flee from burning home were gunned down. I spoke to a boy, uh, Nurati. He's... Uh, a 16-year-old, has seven brothers and sisters, mother and father, all butchered in front of him as he hid himself uh, in, in, in a rice paddy field. Mm. He has photos of his elder brothers, three children, parents and all those children were killed in front of him. And I, when I hugged him, as I was leaving, mm-hmm. that's the only time he showed some emotion, and uh, his heartbeat was like uh, racing towards something. Mm-hmm. So when you open your mouth, there are so many stories to tell. You know, Suchi is saying that, okay, 50% of the people uh, are uh, still there. It means she's confirming that 50% of the people have actually left also, burned houses. And she says, oh, I want diplomats and all these people to go and ask people who are staying why they're still here. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very strange question coming from a lady who herself has not bothered to visit those people. 
But then I kept asking, this was part of her speech day before yesterday, so I kept asking the Fiji why some of the people have not left. They told me that uh, one of the persons said, that particular boy, Noor, told me that he got a call from a neighboring village that they are not letting us leave. Mm. And uh, then connection uh, ended. Right now on the border where you saw, people saw all the photos of people coming in across river and all that. Mm-hmm. Since this was a place where all the media was showing up and all that, they heavily, Burmese army has heavily blocked that area. So that was the well-known established route where people are coming. So that is blocked. Now people have to experiment, take more risk from their lives. Still people are coming. So you open your mouth, you ask a question and be ready to listen to people. I mean, it, it's just such a, it's a genocide. I'm glad Brother Tariq used the term genocide. Mm-hmm. People not saying it this term. They're using a term ethnic cleansing. Uh, I remember I was chair of the Bosnia Task Force USA 20 years ago or 25 years ago when the genocide was going on over there. This term, ethnic cleansing, was used uh, Mulasevic, who was the butcher of Bosnia, and who was tried for war crime. He is the one who coined this term, ethnic cleansing. Not, it's not in any book of international law. Right. So you're, you, they are using a term invented by a genocider to hide his genocide. And, but it is a genocide. There's no question about it. You know, in a matter of two weeks, half a million people were forced out of the country, and uh, half a million are hiding in jungles in Burma and forests. So, and it, any place. So it's the it's the it is the, is it the Burmese military that is? Oh yeah, yeah I keep asking. Uh, two question I'll keep asking is that. Uh, Wherever I go, you know, I start talking to people, and then people gather around uh, you because you look somewhat different and whatnot. Raz, how many of you saw anybody killed? The least answer I got, half of the people raised hand. Most places, almost everybody raised hand. And I keep asking a follow-up question, who is killing this? Most of the time they will mention military, but sometimes they will mention military as well as uh, Buddhist uh, in there. Mm-hmm. I ask a question, did you know any of those people? They say, we don't know. Although media says that sometimes neighbors were involved in killing, these people did not say that. Um, another question I asked, did you saw the same person being killed? Then everybody started telling their story, no, it's different. For example, a very young boy, <clears throat> he was uh, about 10 years old. His face was somber and looking very seriously, a little bit uh, distant. So I asked him because he also raised Hisa. So it turned out he saw his own uncle being killed. So I said, where did were you? He said that I was hiding in the field watching. Another person told me that the way I survived was uh, it, there, is a, there is that village where the mayor comes from, Kota College. Mm-hmm. This is the place uh, where, uh, uh, you know, almost everybody except few people who survived, I spoke to several of them, survivors. And uh, he said the way he survived was that uh, among the people who were killed, he, he fell down with them, and then other people were bleeding. He took their blood and put it all over him. Mm. So they took him as dead and left him. Wow. Wow. So, so as, as these people are fleeing and you're having these conversations, where, where, is, everybody, where is everybody going? Everybody is going nowhere, brother. They cross uh, Burma to, you know, come to Bangladesh to save their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, on Bangladesh side, it's a poor country, and on the border, they're farming people. They're literally staying in the gardens and the 
uh, rice uh, rice fields of those people literally it, there was a graveyard there they're staying there on the roadside i asked them how big were their homes so one guy says is and he's just arrived and he's building a bed which like a, a you know um, not more than a king size bed itself and that's his home total which he's trying to uh, build for himself and uh, <clears throat> when i asked uh, how big was his house a 10 acres house he had it was not a very rich man but uh, a small time shopkeeper so so they are literally in the midst of mango garden i saw people mango trees are in the middle and they are left and right of it and uh, bangladeshi government is not allowing them to move from that area that area is sort of small cut off uh, area from nature and they have set up this post uh, and they are just not letting people cross that and if somebody goes uh, secretly or somehow outside they just uh, uh, arrest them put in the jail and all that so, but i must say that general bangladeshis uh, of course you know shopkeepers and all that trying to make money also but uh, most of the uh, people are trying to be helpful for example in one city some of the these refugee families uh, about 20 or so somehow reached there and uh, they were spotted and arrested the whole city showed up with food clothing and asking them to be released and what not so people have open heart uh, politicians are doing their thing uh, throughout this area there picture of the uh, prime minister that wherever there is humanity there is uh, hasina and of course uh, she has used a major phrase saying that if we can feed uh, 160 million people we can feed a million people also and uh, so 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 it's a, it's a big scene all over but meeting and talking to these people and uh, is is not easy i mean it's very emotional experience Uh, one person his name is mohammed ilyas uh, he say he saw at least 100 people uh, killed and their bodies around and uh, things of this nature and he used to run a drug store and uh, he thinks he in their currency he lost about 10 million worth of uh, things uh, so so each person has a story there brother and the world need to call it a genocide it is it is nothing but genocide and wherever i saw somebody injured i asked him two things came out uh, it was by military firing mm-hmm. uh, two people i saw bullet went in and crossed from the other side of their body okay and i swear did you get uh, help so doctors without borders may god bless them and people need to support them when they cross like that one girl little girl told me the way i he, she saw rehana her name that after eid uh, they came and uh, and when he saw a a woman being shot at the stomach and her guts came out and she saw that and in that capacity other people told me that she will she was brought here and doctors without borders are taking care of her when she is with them still praise be to god alhamdulillah um let let me ask this you mentioned the uh, uh the the young girl rehana are there are there lots of unattended children or children who have uh they were able to flee but their 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 families or um you know have been killed I met Rehana I did not ask this particular question because you know asking children is little difficult yes I let them talk and uh, don't ask too many things and just put my hand with them yes uh, but other children were there which I, I was told they have no one except themselves so when when I ask uh, you know they they got this two things house house are built with two things the bamboos because bamboo trees grow there and they're flexible things so the bamboo trees and they have some 
bamboo string to tie them and then there is got this black plastic at the top outside brother it's hot inside it's an oven mm. and uh, they are very religious people even women you know just like uh, you know you see hijabis in downtown chicago they are dressed up like that except you know their their jilbab looks very costly and uh, so it seems a well to do people except there is a mud on their feet and they have no shoes and but they are sitting there as well so so i was told uh, and i met many children uh, who have nobody so i asked this boy a very distant he said he is he has no tent and that's where i started to asking it turned out nobody of his family survived so what you do i said he just said he hangs around uh, Uh, there is a television antenna you see it just hangs around there and uh, another person i was asking uh, him uh, about similar questions he said that he um, couldn't uh, you know get education mm-hmm. uh, because uh, burmese will not allow me to go to school so that's why i guess can you read and write so no i cannot read and write but the technology is such that they have all this little very very tiny small phones mm-hmm. which can take some photo and they have some photos and things like that i think uh, i i remember the jewish people who went through holocaust yes but the pressure of evidences and information because most of them were educated there are people who since 1982 many of them actually were born after that have denied right to education mm-hmm. so they don't know much how to preserve and record there is urgent need while of course food and everything needed i met people who haven't eaten and just sitting silently they're not asking you either you just pass by they're just sitting there brother mm. so with regard to uh, i know the un has not has not been allowed to provide uh some of the much needed aid as far as food and uh medicine and you mentioned that doctors without borders that's their own they're their own entity um how are people how are they surviving well um of course charity of good people the reason uh, uh, families are just sitting or standing on the roadside is that maybe somebody will stop by and give something mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> no i need to correct the united nation is not allowed to feed people inside burma okay here they are allowed okay all right here they are allowed and uh, here meaning on the bangladesh side where refugees are where i am they are allowed so there is a food program there there is a unicef there there is a international organization of migration there uh their doctors without borders are there and uh, i saw um, some young people building a pump uh, you know by their hand they're putting a hole in the land to make a hand pump there Uh, i saw some places people using bamboos and all that because they are very religious people i mean general people in burma and india you know just uh, when they have to go to toilet they have no toilet this field fit uh, sit in open none of these people uh, and all they walking sound like that so i realized there is some very small huts covered from outside so it turned out they have used their uh, skills to use bamboos and uh, leaves to create uh, toilet spaces in different places uh, so so of course they are using their hands mm-hmm. some places i saw somebody has uh, five six fish is trying to sell them but uh, of course these people have money they can buy but some of them were lost everything uh, i asked them they you know they're about Uh, 25 miles a group i asked their town was 25 miles away from bangladesh have they ever been to bangladesh before said no so your father has been to bangladesh said no 
did your grandfather or great-grandfather came from Bangladesh? They said, no. They gave me names of all those people and said, hey, we have nothing to do. And and the, um, the guy who will translate for me, mm-hmm. I'll ask in English, uh, and uh, he uh, speaks Bangla. So I asked how much uh, of your language, Bangla, is understood by these people. He said just maybe 3-4%. So there was another guy who knew uh, Bangla and Rohingya language. So it was two-way translation uh, to communicate. Of course, religious people among them know Urdu language, and you, you get to talk to them in Urdu as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... <clears throat> What can, because I'm sure that uh, our listeners are affected um, much as I am, and I can only uh, imagine the, the, the effect that this has on, on you and those that are with you seeing this firsthand. What can our listeners do to help? Um, what can our listeners well, do? One of the major things is the pressure by the United States. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, something closer to you, you feel more for it. Sure. Uh, so we have raised, I think, three thirty billion dollar already for uh, you know for Harvey disaster right. before I left the U.S. Uh, U.S. has given about thirty million dollars to these uh, four hundred thousand people sitting with nothing. I think there is a uh, I, I think this uh, not a proper word. There is a Senate resolution two fifty. Mm-hmm. I think this is the time to put tremendous pressure on Burma. It needs to be called a genocide. So ask everybody, don't use ethnic cleansing or anything. Use the term genocide. Call your senators, call your uh, House of Representatives, call Secretary of State. And I, I cannot bring myself to ask anybody to call Trump, uh, but call everybody else. Mm-hmm. And ask them a few basic things. It's a genocide. You should call it a genocide. But what will be Holocaust like if we didn't know? Uh, what happened in Rwanda? People knew, but they didn't call genocide in a timely manner. Nobody did anything. People perished. Right. Um, in Cambodia, people didn't call genocide. And most people can claim they did not know. But unlike Holocaust and Rwanda and Central African Republic or uh, Cambodia, this thing rather is being shown through satellite, before and after picture. There are 50% of all villages, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International say, 214 villages, they have satellite photos of before and after. Mm -hmm. You could see it, brother. This is the first genocide documented through satellite. So people cannot say we didn't know. Mm. It needs to be called genocide. And now, Suchi, the leader of Burma, she confirmed in a very strange way. She says, oh, 50% villages are still intact. Go and ask them why they're still here. What type of question is that, brother? Tell right. me. Right. Well, <clears throat> but it did confirm that she's uh, obliquely acknowledging that the rest of the 50% are gone. Yes, yes. Well, Radio Islam family, you you have been uh, you've been given what you can do, what we can do, to assist those who are in distress and who need our help. Uh, we will revisit some of these suggestions before we close, but keep those things in mind. Uh, Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, we thank you for taking the time to to give us a little bit of a window into what you're seeing there, and we pray for your safe uh, travels, and we pray for those that, that you meet. Uh, yes, we pray for your safe uh, return uh, back to the uh, United States. Uh, Thank so. you so much. I would say three things. So just what you did. Prayers for these people, brother. They are very precious souls are lost for them. Second, uh, call your senator and congressperson. Use the term genocide. Ask them to stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, third, uh, continue to support Burma Task Force. BurmaTaskForce.org. This is the united effort of Muslims trying to prevent this for the last four years. Not much successfully, but this is the united effort, and they issue action alerts 
uh, every two, three days and follow those. Thank you so much, and salamu alaikum from Bangladesh. Thank you. All right, uh, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a break, take a moment to, to decompress, to get your breath. Uh, this is 1450 WCEV. You're listening to Radio Islam. We'll be back in just a moment. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. I feel like I'm choking. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. You know how to react to their asthma attacks. Here's how to prevent them. Call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, the dreaded (laughs) splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, my name is Stanley, and I've been arrested for stealing shoes. I didn't really steal them, but I've been sent to Camp Green Lake anyway. The worst punishment a kid could get. And at Camp Green Lake, we dig holes. Lots of holes. I've only been here a short time, but I think the camp director is up to something. I'm Stanley Yelnats, and I'm covering more than dirt at Camp Green Lake. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Holes by Lewis Sacker. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM. We stream live at www.wcev1450.com. And we are glad to have you back. We are going to be talking in just a moment with a uh, with the with the real dynamo. Um, this, this gentleman has been very busy, uh, and we're going to be talking about the uh, recent deportation of Rasmia Oda. So, and to help us process that, we're going to talk with Bill Chambers. Uh, he is the, I believe, he's the former editor-in-chief of the uh, Chicago Monitor, yes, and he's been a contributor for the last three years. Uh, he's a full-time activist with a long history of civil rights, anti-racism, anti-war, Irish Republican, and Palestinian, Palestine solidarity work, um, as well as a, a, a writer for the Muslim Journal. Uh, as part of his activist work, Bill has traveled extensively to Ireland and Palestine to meet and work with community organizations. Uh, he's had a long and varied work career as a mental health unit coordinator of the adolescent program at Alexian Brothers Medical Center, technical planner at the former Continental Bank in Chicago and a technology strategy consultant for state and county governments, including L.A. County and the District of Columbia. Uh, as a technology strategy consultant, Bill published multiple articles in technology journals. Uh, he's presented at numerous industry conferences for over 10 years. Uh, he's, he has a B.A. in English from Northwestern University, a M.A. in English from Tufts University, and professional certification in family therapy from the Family Institute of Chicago. He's a member uh, of the Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative and is currently, uh, actually just completed his MA in Islamic Studies at the American Islamic uh, College in Chicago. Uh, I had the pleasure of knowing him uh, for a few years, uh, well, 
no more than a few years, um, just a, a, a real, uh, just a, a real value, just adds value wherever wherever he's at. Um, but he's uh, published multiple articles for the Electronic Intifada, Palestine in America, and the Chicago Monitor on Islamophobia, Islamophobia, surveillance of Muslims and social justice groups, Palestine solidarity campaigns, and the movement for community control of the police. So I know that was a lot, but he, you know, this was what happens when you have dedicated uh, your life uh, to service. So you, you wind up with a, a long bio. So, uh, Bill, assalamu alaikum. Like a salam. I don't know if I'll have any time left after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're gonna close out. We, you know, we're gonna we're gonna close out. We're gonna go to the very last uh, minute uh, with you. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. Sounds great. Yeah. So thanks, thanks, thanks for joining and, and helping us uh, to kind of process uh, what has happened, what's taking place. There are some folks who are intimately familiar with the uh, with the story, with you know the past twenty years and. Uh, and there are other folks uh, who aren't. So as somebody who's made this a part of their li- life's work, I couldn't think of anybody better to talk about it than you. So, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, if you would, uh, just kind of give us a, give us, uh, just kind of share with us this, 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 this story of, uh, you know, of, uh, of Rasmia and, and why this has resonated so much with, uh, with the community. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Um, well, what, I, I think one of the first things to, to know about Razmia is that she's uh, been a Palestinian community leader in Chicago for like 23, 23 years. So she was one of the um, directors of the Arab American Action Network. And while she was there, um, it started off as like 600 Arab women, but you know, by the time she was deported yesterday, um, it was up to about 800. So wow. this is somebody who, who has dedicated their life to um, particularly to the advancement of, of uh, women and women immigrants. And um, that's what her life really has been about. So even it was uh, 2013, the Chicago Cultural Alliance mm-hmm. awarded her the Outstanding Community Leader for her over 40 years of life empowerment of Arab women. Wow. So this is a very, very, very powerful woman. And um, the one, one, of the, one of the things that, that hit me, and I'm going to tell you about her background in, in, a, in a second. Please do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. why, you know, why would you deport somebody like this? I was at, um, she was deported to Jordan um, at O'Hare yesterday with, um, I'd say, maybe two, three hundred of her supporters and there were people from every group you could imagine. Um, I think uh, maybe your listeners know Rami from uh, Iman. Yes. Um, executive director there. He was there. People from Jewish Voice for Peace, American Muslims for Palestine, uh, the American Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker organization. They do a lot of good work actually fighting Islamophobia. There were Black Lives Matter Chicago people there. Chicago Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression. I mean, almost at all these groups in that were in solidarity with her. So you kind of wonder, you know, okay, what's what's going on here? Um, her her case, and I'll, I'll make this brief. Um, there were a series of bombings in um, Palestine in Jerusalem way back in 1969, mm-hmm. and as the Israelis like to do. Um, they rounded up, you know, all the Palestinians they could find, particularly ones who were politically active, and arrested them all. Um, and Razmia was one of those people. Mm-hmm. And um, for your listeners, you, you have to kind of remember, this is um, all the courts in Palestine for Palestinians are military courts. So it's not like you don't get a defense and whatever. So she was convicted um, of this bombing, even though she denied doing it, mm-hmm. and she was um, raped and tortured um, and forced to give a confession. Mm-hmm. So she, under this very, very unjust environment, a lot of organizations have, have talked about that, um, she was in jail for 10 years in Israel, um, and in a prisoner swap, she went to Jordan, 
And then eventually she came to the United States 23 years ago. Her uh, dad was here. He was sick. Mm-hmm. So what happened was she was doing all this great work we're talking about, you know, working with Arab women, um, people in the, um, from the Arab Action Network is like 63rd, Kedzie, that whole neighborhood, working with a lot of um, women that couldn't um, speak English. They really needed help becoming citizens. They needed the help knowing their rights and expressing themselves. So that's what she did that whole time. Um, and then in, in 2012, um, the Department of Homeland Security is, uh, swept in, arrested her from her house, and um, charged her with um, immigration fraud. And their case was that there were questions on the naturalization form that said, have you ever been um, arrested or convicted or in jail? And one of the things she thought, well, okay, they're talking about, you know, here in the United States. She had been in the United States, I don't know, I think 10 years before she uh, got that, uh, the naturalization forms. And, you know, she said no. And actually later on, even in the court case, um, there was a lot of indication she had PTSD. They had experts that were going to um, uh, testify that, because of the torture and rape and assault um, that she had experienced in jail um, that still affected her. But, yeah, so essentially fast-forwarding to now, um, her court case went on for three years. Uh, well, actually, uh, more than that, actually four years. Um, she was eventually convicted and I went to a lot of the, like you mentioned, uh, Tariq, I, w- I wrote a lot of articles about her and her background. Um, and this is a woman, by the way, who's uh, about 67. Right. Not a young woman, although I think that's kind of young. But, um, <laughs> you know, but um, she, um, I went to a, almost all of the, um, the trials um, in Detroit. And the judges, you know, they disrespect uh, a lot of the people from that women's committee I talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be lined up. Um, you could tell they were quiet, older women, uh, great majority of hijabs would be sitting there. And the judge would say, well, you know, you can do this work anywhere. You know, you don't really have any connection to Chicago. You would like disparage her work. And there was a lot of... Um, really a lot of racism going on here, you know, and just disrespecting the community that she had worked for. And so eventually, um, and, and the, the prosecutors really wanted to get her as a terrorist. You know, the Israelis, you know, they arrested her. She lied on the form. She's a terrorist. And we want to get her out of the country. So just to finish this part of it, um, she was convicted. Um, the case was um, appealed, and she was going to get uh, potentially a new trial um, beginning of this year. And probably a lot of your listeners can appreciate this. Um, with our new Justice Department, who is turning back so many things, whether it's immigration, DACA, um, criminalization, um, practically anything you can think of, her defense team felt that there was no way she could get a free trial, a, a, a fair trial in this environment. So what they decided to do was a plea agreement because the judge, um, they wanted to, they convicted her of uh, naturalization fraud. They're going to take away her citizenship, which they did do. And then um, they were going to put her in jail for two or three years at least, and then deport her. Wow. Oh, yeah. So she decided, you know, I've lived in Jordan before. I, I, you know, she's an older woman. I mean, she's got issues and stuff, physical issues. So she decided to um, uh, accept the deportation. Mm-hmm. So that's where she um, left with all of her friends and Followers, uh, very sad. Um, 
I yeah, it was I've I've known her for many years. She came to my wedding. Uh, very very hard that many of us will never see her again. Right. We go to Jordan. So so that's where we're at um, right now. So she's been deported to Jordan and um yeah. So do you you want to follow up on some of those things? Uh, I would <clears throat> I would I would love to, um, but. We know that we're going to lose our <laughs> we're going to lose our our broadcast time. <laughs> yeah, bigger. So, but what I want to ask is, can we get you back on? Because oh, anytime. Yeah, because I mean, uh, and sooner rather than later, because I, I would love to uh, to be able to kind of go through this uh, a little bit more and just talk about you know what's the next, what are the next steps, and and how do we all process this? So. Um, yeah, so I'm, we're definitely going to be reaching out to you to get you back in, like I said, sooner rather than later. Uh, but we're going to have to close out. Um, uh, but before I say that, just uh, thank you for, for giving us just just what you did right now. And, Alhamdulillah. I pre- yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, all right, folks, uh, Radio Islam family, uh, the hour goes by really quickly. Uh, we appreciate you taking this time. Uh, spending this hour with us. If you were driving, hopefully you're just pulling into your driveway, uh, driveway right now, and uh, you can get out with the, you know, knowing that you you spent a good hour. And um, so tonight, you know, we talked about some some, some weighty issues, uh, but we believe that um, you know with struggle comes, uh, you know, the the ease comes after the struggle. So tonight's uh, engineer at WCEV was Leonard. Our engineer in studio, Ibrahim Baig. Your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Um, any, oh, the executive producer, Abdul Malik Mujahid. The words of the host and guests are their views and not necessarily the views of Sound Vision. Uh, we thank you for joining us. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow night at 6 p.m., same time. Uh, tomorrow's, tonight's episode will be up on SoundCloud tomorrow morning. Be sure to check it out. Like our Facebook page, Radio Islam. Uh, I'm your host, Tariq el signing off, and I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.